The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Amen. Well, guys, if you have your Bible with you, I hope you do electronically. It's in your brain or it's in your, in your book, whatever you got. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today. Matthew chapter 16 today. And we're going to be going through what we now are calling the series, The Church Is, dot, dot, dot. And we're filling that blank in, kind of skipping around each week. And just a reminder to you, this is a topic series. And uh, that word topical is, is kind of like your kids in the backseat of a long car ride. Uh, you never know what kind of topics you're going to get on, right? It can be very serious one minute and very, uh, well, it can be very childlike the next, right? Uh, that's sort of what we're doing, but in the serious tone. We're, we're kind of hopping from, from passage to passage to passage to passage. And that's not our normal MO here at Tower View. We usually take a book and we just go straight through it and Sometimes it takes three years, like the book of Mark, but we get through it. By God's grace, we finish. So this is different. But I want you to be reminded, as we said last week, we're going through this because we are having a conversation now in late August about what our church is, what we need to do as a church going forward in days ahead, post-pandemic, whatever you want to call it. Because guess what? We have some work to do, and that's okay. God's doing great work. But as we prepare for that, and as I thought about the delay of that meeting from next Sunday until the end of August, I thought, you know, it's actually not a bad thing. Because by then, we will have gone through several things about what we're called to do as a church and reminders for us as we do. So you have your scripture in front of you, Matthew chapter 16. If you're able to stand this morning, would you stand with us in honor of God's word? Matthew 16, 13 through 20. You know this passage well if you've been in church. You know the phrase that we've been singing around this morning well. But I want to remind you that the church is where the, Lord, where the Lord's kingdom is built. The church is where the Lord's kingdom is built. This is on the heels. Jesus is about one year away from his death. Uh, he's, he's, in the, he's in the midst of the highest points of his ministry. But he pulls his disciples aside here, and when they come up to a, a kind of a rural area, a Gentile area, they get to a place where he goes through this text. So we pick it up in Matthew 16, verse 13 down to verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus referring to himself. And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, isn't he always the one, replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, verse 18, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I, Jesus speaking, will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then verse 20, he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. 
By the way, if you ever have someone tell you Jesus never told anyone that he was the Christ, well, verse 20 just said that he told them that he was the Christ, if it's not already obvious in other passages. Guys, this verse, these verses have been taken out of context. They've been ripped apart. Uh, churches have literally been built upon them for centuries. But I want to tell you today, this is about Jesus Christ. It's about his church, but it's also about us as a family, as a family of believers this morning. I want you to know, death, whatever is in front of us, cannot separate us from God's love, and the gates of hell will never prevail because of what Jesus just said right here. That is a great truth for us as we go forward in these days. Let's pray together. We'll get into it, and we'll look at what God has for us this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for the scripture. We know this well. Father, we know the same Peter in this breath. Just a few verses later, a few hours later perhaps, a few days later, uh, we'll deny the very things that Jesus just said, or at least misunderstand it. Yet, Lord, that's all of us too. We are so eager, beaver, to do everything you tell us to do, but sometimes we back off, even knowing the promises before us. So, Father, as we consider that the church is where you are building your kingdom, would you remind us today that nothing in this world, no circumstances, no powers, no governments, no whatevers can ever stop the work of your kingdom on this earth. We may not always see the progress visibly with our eyes, but, Father, we trust you sovereignly, invisibly working behind the scenes to do things beyond more than we can ever ask or think. You are the Almighty God. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, it was hard to believe because so much has happened both in our church family and both in the nation, but three weeks ago today, Tower View outside sounded like this. You didn't hear a pin drop outside. Do you remember that? Some of you took your phones out and recorded it. What happened three weeks ago? Do you remember? Three weeks ago, 435 outside the church was shut down for the weekend. And one of our church members said, I think Jesus is about to come back because there's no noise coming from the interstate. It's that true. But you, it was under construction. And you had to find your way around roads. You never thought you'd find your way around. We hate those types of things, don't we? We hate those things that say under construction, excuse our mess, or hold tight, we'll be right back. We have one of those signs too, by the way, so hang tight. We're open during renovation, whatever. But when you see these signs, what is your response? Usually, do you want to go out and rip down the sign and just drive on the road anyway? I think some of us did that that day. We drove around the roads we probably shouldn't have. But if it's important to you, you will continue to pester them until they finish up the project. Because we don't like people telling us it's under construction. It's under construction. I mean, if you really like being under construction, you can go sleep in the nursery back there for a while because we're, it's still under construction. you got a home for a few more weeks, and that's all right. But friends, we respond that way sometimes at church too. Many people's commitment to church is sustained as long as they can maintain the notion that the church is never under construction. I'll go to church as long as it meets my needs according to the way I want it to, according to the way I think it should be, and according to the way I want it to be. Count me in. My bottom will be in that seat, Pastor. I'll be there. But when the under construction signs come up, when it says, pardon our mess, when it says, God's moving in this way, we have to move with him, most people will say, I don't like that. I'm going to take a detour somewhere else. But God has told us how to build the church, hasn't he? He's told us he's going to build it. He's told us where he's going to build it, and he's, going, he's told us that he's going to do it perfectly. Sometimes we storm the gates of hell with a water gun no more than gets a little squirt out like a kid in a swimming pool, but by God's grace, it's enough to keep the gates of hell back. Because guess what? 
Until kingdom come, God's church will continue to be under construction. But guess what? It's positive construction. What is he constructing? He's constructing a people after his own name. And there are sometimes we need to say with God, pardon our mess, because we have to clean up some things, some, some sin in the camp, so to speak. But there is a promise to us. God is building a kingdom here on this earth. And he doesn't care what hell has to say about it. He's going to work through it. And guys, that ought to encourage you this morning. As you look through the headlines, as you look through the neighborhoods, as you look around the world today, it is nothing but unrest all around. And it always has been. And guess what? It's always going to be. But God's kingdom is expanding day by day. I want to tell you something. I can't say this because we're online, but I, will say, I won't say his name. You know who he is. But that young man I prayed for in our, in our pastoral prayer texted me within 10 minutes of getting the call that we lost one of our staff members this week. Got the text at 4.50. I got the call at 5 o'clock. God's kingdom continues to expand even when God takes one of his own. So what is God's kingdom up to today? Let me tell you, it's up to great things. The big idea today is simply this. It'll be up on the screen. God has promised to build his church. And when we believe that, not even the gates of hell can stop it. Guys, that's a great thing. So this morning, I want you to know that there has never been a greater need to see the church expand, to grow. But I want you to also know that this is not our church this is not Tower View's church. This is his church. And when we change the possession of that pronoun, it changes everything. Because there are so many churches and pastors and ministries who start out so fresh, so well, so uh, honest about what they want to do. But as the money comes in, as people come in, as the buildings expand, it becomes more about their little kingdom than it does about God's big kingdom. Be careful. Jesus is building his church, and there's no reason to believe this promise has an expiration date. So what does this mean for us? Four things this morning as we will go through these, God, and, and, and we'll put these up as we go through them, but I want you to know the first one is this. You can see it in verse 13. God is building his church in four steps. The first step is this, is that we must receive the truth about him. In order for the church to grow against the gates of hell, we have to know the truth about him. So what is that truth? Look back at verse 13. He tells you. The truth is, is that he is who he said he was. Now, I want you to know this region of Caesarea Philippi, where they are at, is a place that has a lot of historical significance. I don't want to bore you, but you need to know this. This is a place, literally, in a Roman city at the city of Mount Hermon, about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, where Herod the Great had built an, a, a monument in the honor of the Greek god Pan, P-A-N or Pan, depending on how you say it. He was a half-man half goat. Doesn't that sound great to have in your house someday? But he was considered wild in nature. And after his death, Herod the Great, his, his son, uh, built for him a monument there. And they named the city after him Caesarea Philippi as not to confuse it with other Roman names. But in that city, at region of Caesarea Philippi, they had a huge cave. And in that cave, there was a waterfall that came out of it. And that waterfall was believed to be, by the, the locals, to be the, literally the gateway to hell. To literally the gateway to Hades. Literally the gateway into the underworld, to put it in Greek and Roman terms. So when Jesus comes to this region, fully divine, fully omniscient, fully God as he is, he knows the significance of what he is telling them to do. So when he asks them there in verse 13, he says, Now, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's starting to set a precedent for something. Does Jesus know who he is? You better believe it. 
Mary might not have known. Mary, did you know? You can have that debate whether she knew those things and she knew enough, but Jesus knew. He was human. He acted in his humanity at times, but he also was fully omniscient. He was God himself. And so at the gates of hell, he literally asked them this question. He asked them the question, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, I want to remind you that the Son of Man here is a title that he, he took from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, it's spoken of the Son of Man coming. This is a, a messianic title he's taking. But Jesus asked this question literally in the context of the gates of Hades. He wants to make a point to his disciples. Look, he didn't ask this question in Rome because Jesus didn't need political endorsement. He didn't ask this question in Athens because he didn't need academic stamp of approval certification. He didn't ask this question in Jerusalem because he could care less what the religious establishment had to say. He took his disciples into the headquarters of false religion and asked them the question, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? I want you to remember, church, that Christianity is not about politics. It's not about culture. It's not about even theological viewpoints. It's about a correct understanding, first and foremost, about who Jesus is. And that does matter, doesn't it? I want you to know what the popular opinions of with Jesus. Did you see what he said here? Jesus did not ask them this question out of curiosity, but he says to them, some say, they, they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. That sounds kind of funny. But do you remember back in Mark chapter 6, John the Baptist had his head cut off. Do you remember that part? It's not usually bedtime reading for your kids, but it's in the Bible. It happened. It's one of those things. Some people thought, even Herod thought, that John was raised from the dead. So the disciples said, well, that's a popular thing out there. Others said he was Elijah. Well, what happened to Elijah? I do have to say this again if you missed it at the funeral. Our son Simeon asked, you know, we're still conceptualizing what heaven is, and he asked me the other day on the way home, he said, what kind of car did Jesus pick Judy up on when he took her to heaven? And it was a truck. We, we determined it was a truck, a green truck, and so we know that. But in a very similar vein, less childlike, what happened to Elijah? He was taken up in a chariot of fire, wasn't he? He never died, literally never died. And so some would say of Jesus that he was Elijah. He was snatched alive. And Malachi 4, 5 says that Elijah must come before the day of the Lord. So they thought, well, maybe this is Elijah. Maybe Jesus is Elijah. That wasn't who he was. And then you get there at verse 14. Some thought Jesus was Jeremiah or one of the prophets because he had high approval ratings and he did things that they did. But notice here that as they're receiving information about him, he did not mention, they did not mention any negative things about Jesus. Did you notice that there? These are all positive people that are linked to Jesus Christ. And friends, just like John, Jesus proclaimed a kingdom of repentance. Just like Elijah, he demonstrated supernatural power. And just like Jeremiah, he had the character and the conduct to do the ministry. But their opinion was accurate, but it was inadequate. Jesus is not in a class among many. Jesus is not, in the, is not the head of the class. Jesus is in a class by himself. Amen? That was the popular opinion about this information, but I want you to know the personal testimony. Jesus asked his disciples, and Jesus did not respond to their answers because he gave them something even bigger. He pressed into the conversation about who he was. Look back at verse 15. He says to them, well, he said, then who do you say that I am? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're online, you're outside, wherever you are, 
and you have never answered that question for yourself. Christian, you know that's a question you have to answer yourself. Because if you go up to someone and say, I believe in Jesus, I hope the first question they ask you back is, which Jesus do you believe in? I mean, honestly, there are as many Jesuses out there, there are as many views of Jesus out there as there are colors of ice cream at High V in the ice cream aisle. You pick it, it's going to be there. Is it the Mormon Jesus? The Jehovah's Witness Jesus? Is it the Islam Jesus? Is it the liberal theology Jesus? Is it the social gospel Jesus? Well, which one is it? Jesus doesn't get in the weeds with that. He just asks one simple question. Who do you, singular, who do y'all say that I am? And friends, that's the personal testimony of Peter. You know what he says. He says, you are who? The Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're it. You're the son of God. I get it. You're the son of God. I get that. And I want you to know if you're a Christian, that is the testimony of every Christian everywhere. Jesus is the son of God. It matters little, Spurgeon said, what others say about Jesus, whether they're right or wrong, but what your opinion is of him does matter because it matters what he said. That but draws a big contrast because he's speaking here. This is a big test. This is not a pop quiz. Every moment of the disciples has been about coming to this conclusion. Who do you say that I am? This was not a final exam because Jesus would die later. This was a call to faith. This was called the great confession. This is called, this isn't a, a, a ritual of worship. It's not, do, it's not doctrine, though it is not a code of conduct. It's about one person. It's about Jesus Christ. Friends, when you get to heaven someday, it's going to be about who? Who? Jesus. That's it. Again, I said this yesterday in the funeral sermon. Streets of gold. I, I'm not a huge country fan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dog on country for a minute. Can I dog on country for just a minute? And gospel songs, or any song really. It's not about the streets of gold. It's not about the pearly gates. It's not about who you're going to see in heaven. It's about who's going to be on that throne. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. At the end of the day, those streets of gold are going to get old after a while. Just like when you get something new in your house, you remodel your bathroom. I'm sorry. After a while, the bathroom is just the bathroom, right? It's just as dirty as it was before, even with new paint on the walls. I, I long to see people I've missed in Christ too, and we will embrace. Spurgeon said, if we knew them here, we'll know them there, and that's a great thing. We want to see loved ones, but I guarantee it, all in unison, it's not going to be about anything but Jesus high and lifted up. That's it. And they needed to see this. Your greatest confession is always what you say about Jesus Christ. And Christian, if you have confessed and professed to know Jesus, you have the greatest information that can ever come to you. If we could solve every cancer, if we could solve every virus, if we could solve every world problem, it wouldn't matter because it's all going to fail someday. But Jesus lives on forever. Amen? How do you build the church? It's about receiving the truth about him. Well, how did he get that truth? Look at the second point here. And this will be a, this divine revelation. How do you build a church? You receive truth, but secondly, you respond to divine revelation. What does that mean? Divine revelation is something God gives you that impacts you where you are and makes sense. That's what it's about. Look at verse 17. Jesus calls it out here very clearly. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You want to be blessed? If you know Jesus Christ and you know who he is and you've gotten the right information, you are already blessed. Jesus announced this personal beatitude on him, but he says it positively and negatively. He says, negatively, flesh and blood has not given this to you. People did not share this with you. 
positively, he tells him how, but my Father who is in heaven. What, let's break, break this down here. This divine revelation. First of all, that flesh and blood means humanity. It means people. It means everyone everywhere. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children, uh, the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of the same things, that through his death he might destroy the one who has power, that is, the devil. Jesus took on flesh and blood to save us, but flesh and blood cannot save us. John 1.12, you know these words, But to all who did not receive him... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of who? Of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God himself. Let me ask you a question. Did God choose you or did you choose Jesus? Pastor Nelson, the answer is yes. Did you choose God? Yes. Did God choose you? Yes. Who chose who first? We love because he first loved us. We responded to him. Friends, we are dead in our sin. Let's not forget this. We are dead in our sin. We are dead, so dead that only God himself can raise us from the dead. Yet we treat sometimes, even myself, people like there's something in them that, that if we say the right words, they're just going to come alive. The only way they come alive is that they realize they are dead apart from Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter could not take personal credit for this confession. It was not by his intellect. He wasn't smart enough. He wasn't fast enough. He wasn't wise enough or educated enough. It was only by God's grace. And friends, this is why we go and make disciples that we talked about last week. Because dead people cannot come alive. I would love it that every funeral we preach, if we looked at that dead body and said, Hey, Joe Bob, come, rise up. And he rose up for a moment. But God does not see fit, except in super minimal times in Scripture, to do that. But He does raise people spiritually. And if you're here today and you've been raised to new life, you are blessed. You are blessed. Friends, many churches try to reach the lost by doing many things, by marketing, by business, by self-help, by therapeutic, by worldly entertainment, by signs and wonders. But Jesus just simply says this, you can't will flesh and blood to believe in flesh and blood. Only God the Father can do that. Well, what does that mean? What, what does it mean But by the Father that he got this divine revelation? It means this. It means that if you have come to know God through his son, Jesus Christ, he himself has given that knowledge to you. John 17, 3, Jesus prayed, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and that Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know Jesus and to know the true God. It does not come through earthly means, doesn't come through knowledge, doesn't come through flesh and blood. That's why in Matthew 11, Jesus prayed this. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, for Father, such was your gracious will. The fact that God speaks to us through his word, the fact that God has spoken to us in Christ is a miracle, isn't it? And to build the church, he tells us here that we need to remember that. Christian, when someone comes to know Jesus, it is a supernatural work, greater than the world being created, greater than even, uh, the, you know, all, the, all the, the, the miracles of the Exodus, all those things bow to this truth. That if you got saved by Jesus Christ, that God gave you that gift of knowing his will, that is a walking miracle, the greatest of all, perhaps. If you've been saved, there's no greater miracle. 
We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what he has done. Church, never forget that here. I know y'all know this, but it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. We build the church by responding to that. Would you pray as a practical point? Look, you can talk to your kids all day about the Bible. You need to do that. You need to do that. But if you're not praying that God would grant them faith to believe everything that they have, it's like putting wood on the fire and not lighting the fire because God has to bring his wind to fire and turn dead bones to life, Ezekiel 37. If you're a Christian, you are living today because God gave you that truth. Oh, man, but there are some Christians, if you ask them, how did you get saved? Well, I chose Jesus. Well, that's true, but it wasn't because you were wiser or smarter than anybody else. You chose Jesus because God gave you that truth. Does that make sense? It's a huge difference. Let's go on to number three. How does he build his truth? You receive the truth from above. You respond to it. But number three, it's also by resting on the correct foundation. Look at verse 18. Now, before we read it, let me just be clear here. This verse, well, let's read it. Let's just read it. You ready? Verse 18. And I tell you are, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Okay. Some of you know where this is going, don't you? Friends, this is a this is a big difference and I want to speak plainly with grace on this. But this is not the first time this has been discussed, and this has been debated for centuries. But you need to know the discussion, and you need to know why we land where we land. First, this is not the first time Peter has been called Simon, but this is the most significant time. It's kind of like when your mama said, hey, uh, uh, hey, Judy Kay, as we said yesterday at the funeral, hey, Judy Kay. When that middle name or that formal name comes out, your ears perk up, or they should, when that time comes. The name Peter means rock or stone. But Peter is not the rock upon which Jesus builds the church. Peter is not the first of many popes that would come down. Peter is not the rock on which to build the church. I love Peter. He's a great guy. But if you know Peter, you know Peter would not be the first one you would pick to be the first leader of the church, although he was in some sense. Friends, we do not believe in a papal succession that came down from Peter all the way through the times. We believe there is one Lord over the church. There's not one central leader. There is not one Southern Baptist president that rules them all, so to speak. We believe that when Jesus said he built the church, it would not be built upon Peter, but it would be built on his son, Jesus Christ. There is a divide right there between Protestant and Catholic, and it's a big divide. But I want you to know that that is so important I, as your pastor, do not speak ex cathedra, to use a big Latin word. I do not speak. When I speak, I don't speak to you the words of God that you must follow exactly all the time. I can be wrong. What it says in this book is our final authority. Amen? And if what I say, or what anyone from this pulpit, or any pulpit anywhere, any teacher anywhere who claims to know God says, trumps this book or contradicts this book, you run away as far and as fast as you can. I do not have that power. You did not have light rising smoke coming out of, of, a, of a home somewhere when I came to be your pastor, as they do when they choose the Pope. Friends, I am a pastor. I am a failure. I am a sinner. I put on my pants one leg at a time, just like you. But in God's mysterious plan, he's called me to be over you at the same time. But I am not the one who built this church. You are not the one who builds this church. 
I want you to look at verse 18 again. I, notice who says it. I will build my church. Who is the I? Who is it? It's Jesus. It's not a pope. It's not a pastor. It's not a council. It's not a denomination. It is Christ himself who builds the church. That is so important because your view of church, how you view verse 18 can be important to how you view the church. You do not come to the church to receive forgiveness of your sins. Baptism does not save you. Penance does not save you. Saying 5,000 Hail Marys does not save you. The only way you are saved is what we just read. Who is it? It's you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's Jesus or nothing. I have Catholic family. Many of you do. I'm not trying to speak ill, but I want you to know why we believe what we believe. We broke away in 1517 for a reason, because this was taken to an idolatrous level, that if you were not part of the Catholic Church, you could not be saved. I believe God has called people out from numerous denominations. I believe there are Catholics who are saved. But I believe that if you are truly saved, you are going to walk not according to a church necessarily, but the church and everything else will be informed by what it says right here in this book. I hope you understand my heart in that. We are not saved by praying to a co-redemptress. We're not saved by going through anyone else but Jesus Christ. We believe that, right? So we have to rest on the correct foundation. Is the church important? Yes, Friends, we believe there are two types of churches. There's the local church. You're in a local church right now. If you're a member of this church, the greatest acknowledgement you have is that you came under this church and you are allowing us to shepherd you, Pastor Nelson and myself right now. One with a little more hair, one with a little less. Thanks, Tom. But you know what we're saying. We are not perfect, but God has called you to this local church. But we also believe in what's called the universal church. That across all languages, across all time, across all cultures, across all denominations, God has called out a people for himself. What people are those? Verse 17, the people who have been told what is the divine revelation. That's the true church. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. Families will separate, businesses will close, nations will fail, but the church has eternal security because God in his son has eternal security. That's a big difference. Friends, I want to be clear here. The Catholic Church needs prayers because if you add anything to Jesus Christ, you are adding something the Scripture never added. Be careful. I say that knowing there are friends and family even in this room where that impacts, but you need to know the difference. Does the Baptist Church have the corner on the market? No, Jesus Christ does. Amen? But at the same time, we need to be clear. It is by faith in Jesus alone. You add nothing to that. You take nothing from that. You take it as it is. Nothing more, nothing less. I will leave it right there. But I want you to hear my heart on that. Not my heart. I want you to hear what it says. He says, though, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As soon as he said that, those disciples thought to that cave just down the road in Caesarea Philippi where all the Greeks and Romans said you could literally go to the depths of hell. It's still there, by the way. You can go visit it. The, the, the water still flows out of that cave even to this day. And when he said that, he said it in a way that only Jesus could. He said, look, I am the one who you longed for. No matter what death comes, no matter what mission comes, no matter what progress comes, 
Nothing will take over my church. Nothing will take it over. If you're a Christian here today, that is great assurance to you. Satan can't steal your salvation from you. Satan can tempt you. He can dupe you. He can get you all sorts of ways out of shape, but he can never get you away from Jesus Christ if you truly know him. Amen? So what we know is this. It may cost us our very lives. We may die for him. Death is final, but in Christ, we have a hope that transcends all glory. Last thing is this. We receive his truth about him. We respond to divine revelation. We also go through and we, we rest on the right foundation. But the last one I want you to see here is, is that he has kingdom authority. He has kingdom authority, verses 19 and 20. And we build this church by responsibly using this kingdom authority. Look at verse 19. He says, I will give you, again, I, Jesus speaking, will give you, not a church, not a pastor, not a pope, not a council, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Who's he speaking to here? He's talking to Peter, but he's broadening it out here for church universal. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What's he saying here? Well, keys open and close doors, right? I've told you before, if this really, if this gets your goad and you really get happy hearing keys, you're pro something's probably off in your ticker somewhere. Unless you're a prisoner and you hear those keys jingle, then you're really going to be excited because you're like a cat when you shake the cup. Come on, come on. They run up and you know the story. But this promise comes, doesn't it? The promise is, is that he will build his kingdom. Christ builds his church with kingdom authority. Matthew 28, 9, or 28, 20, 19, all authority last week in heaven and earth has been given to me. You cannot give what you do not have. Jesus is the sovereign key holder. Revelation 1, 17 and 18, fear not, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. The keys of the kingdom are plural. It's, it's, it's free kingdom authority. What's he saying here? He's saying very clearly that the church represents the keys of authority here on this earth. I will give you the keys. Friends, the church is important. The disciples were king, citizens of the kingdom, and the Lord promises them the keys of the kingdom. But what he's saying is this. Through you in the church, I will build my kingdom. This is why, for the millionth time, Tower of You, I will say this. This is why someone who says, I don't need to be in the church, I can, Jesus can go do my own thing, is completely missing what the words of Jesus said here. It is here that you grow. It's here that you minister together. It's here that you confess sin. You, you praise God together. It's here that you mourn over the death of someone you love together. It's not just about the building, although that's important. Jesus said he builds the church. He said, whatever you loose in heaven... Bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing are not in demonic things. Literally, Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What he means is this. The church does not tell Jesus what to do or heaven what to do, but he obeys them. And what work they do here on earth will be glorified by him in heaven. It's not for naught that we do all these things. The church does not tell heaven what to do, but obeys on earth what heaven commands the church to do. As we follow him, as we do what he says, the kingdom will grow. It's really that simple. You just listen to Jesus and life is going to be okay, right? But how much we complicate that? We complicate it so much. Friends, at the end of the day, the church is really about this one mission. There are people out there who are dying and going to a literal conscious eternal hell. And we, the church, sometimes are so silent, just like 435 was three weeks ago, it's deafening and it hurts your soul. 
every church that God is building for his kingdom glory has this one mission in mind, that we reach people and grow people and share the gospel with people no matter who they are. And I praise God that our former office manager, Judy, did that. I told many of you yesterday in private conversations, Judy would sit over here, every benevolence call that came in. We have a benevolence ministry, 2%. Jeff can give you all the numbers after church if you want, but I think 2% of every all of the gross goes to the, the, the benevolence that we help people with light bills or whatever it is. But we have people from the neighborhood come in who really are on hard times. We, we make sure it's legit. We don't want to be scammed like you don't want to be scammed. We go through a process. We have all that down. But I appreciate Judy because every time they came in, I would hear her in a motherly, firm, but gracious way basically ask this one question. I mean, honestly, if you died, where would you go? And she'd do that every week as people came in. Friends, no matter where you are in this church, our greatest mission is that we reach the kingdom. We reach people for the kingdom of God. But let me be clear, what is church all about? Church is not for the unsaved. Church is primarily for you folks, most of you folks in this room who know Christ. It's for the sheep. But guess what? We want this place filled also with people called the goats, Jesus said, who don't know Jesus. Amen? Would you pray for that? Would you pray these seats are filled by people we invite, invest in, share with? Because guess what? It's always going to be for a positive. Why did Jesus tell them as we close? Why did he tell them not to tell anyone? Doesn't that just seem weird? Why, if you have this great mission, Jesus, why are you telling them to be quiet? Doesn't it just seem weird? Verse 20, he strictly told them to don't tell anybody because his time had not yet come. Friends, even when Jesus tells you to do something that doesn't make any sense, you sit back and say, yes, sir. Put me in, coach. Whatever, you, whatever play, whatever person you want me to block, no matter how big they are, it's okay because he said it. There was a gag order. Brother Dave, I thought of you on this because this is a lawyer term. There's a gag order put on these, these, these guys. But I want you to know, within a year, they were going out into all the world telling everyone that they could that Jesus was risen from the dead. Church, he's risen. He's risen indeed, isn't he? Christian, you know this. But I want to remind you today, our mission is to reach people for Jesus Christ as together as the church we gather. And may we never forget that. Who is it in your life today who needs to hear about Jesus? And if you knew our Judy, you would know this. She would want you to share about him wherever she goes. Church, we have a lot of things to talk about in the days ahead. But I want you just to pray this week. Whoever it is, wherever it is, that God would lead you to that person. Let's go before our Lord, and we'll have the worship team come up. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you, Lord, so much that the keys of the kingdom, Lord, are things that you called us to do here on this earth, to be about the mission. Father, whatever we do on this earth, Lord, you will loosen heaven. You will not only glorify your name through, but you will also build your kingdom through. Father, I thank you so much that we are of a church that you have called here at Tower View. So as long as we are faithful, Lord, the gates of hell will never prevail. Father, this isn't about necessarily winning America back or, or, or seeing a certain government installed or certain people represented in politics. This isn't about having, uh, Father, the, uh, the, the coolest strategies or the whatevers, Lord. This is about, first and foremost, just simply sharing the story that we who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
Lord, help us to be faithful in that. And I pray for parents in our church, grandparents, that we take hold of those moments we have with those precious little ones, even teenagers that, that, that are in our midst for the short time we have them. May we be faithful to share about what Christ has done. Father, I pray for those friends we spend time with, family members that don't know Jesus, that, Lord, you would help us to be faithful to proclaim to them what it is. Lord, we may lose our relationship if we're honest. But, Father, for the greater good of your kingdom, may we see the results are not to be always seen here. But as our sister has seen this week, they're to be reaped in heaven as we see and look back in your providence about how even the simplest sharing of your story had ripple effects across relationships and people to come to Christ we would never have seen with our naked eyes. Lord, we love you so much. As we, Father, as our church is more in this last week, may you remind us of these truths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.